0: May we pray, Father, for the realization that indeed you are making all things new, and even this moment is a part of that work. We are grateful. We ask, O God, that you will speak, that we will hear, that we will see, we'll understand, we will follow, and that you might be glorified in all things. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Let me thank President Tennant for the introduction, Dr. and Dean LeGron for the opportunity to come before you and greet you in the only name that matters. And that is the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is indeed an honor to be here with you for many reasons. Um, You have one of the stellar leaders in theological education in the person of Tim Tennant. And I think we need to praise God for him and for his. Um, I bring greetings from Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. Some of his peers send there, fond wishes to you i'm also happy to be here with my partner in crime dr Mac, peer a black mississippian and a white south dakotan god has put together in ministry and in life and i'm so honored by his presence here on today the word of the lord that has been read If you're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst the urgent call for our times. Can we also praise God for this worship ministry and these dancers? <laughs> the, the, the time in which we live is indeed one of great challenge, certainly within our nation more than half of the U.S. population living in less than five percent of the counties and less than half of the population spread out across the other 95 percent of the counties there is a spatial gap within our nation and this gap indicates substantial differences in perceptions perspectives and priorities They are historical. In his book, American Nations, Colin Woodard alerts us that America is made up of 11 subcultures or nations that were established as the 13 colonies were founded. These subcultures spread as people from each of them moved into the new territories across America. And he further traces how there have been two major alliances, Northern and Southern, that oppose each other on most issues, and that there is a swing group whose position shifts according to the issues. Well, this has been so since the formation of the Republic, the differences seem to have calcified into a substantial division that has become so toxic that difference has been weaponized such that those who are different are dehumanized and depersonalized. They're perceived as enemies to be defeated rather than persons to be understood. And the rise of social media and the echo chambers of tribal media outlets has produced a climate where the worst is spoken and uncritically believed. In a recent Christianity Today article entitled American Idol, how politics has replaced spiritual practice. Michael Ware cites research that indicates, Democrats and Republicans have grown more contemptuous of opposing partisans for decades and at similar rates. Only recently, however, this aversion exceeded their affection for co-partisans. In other words, out-party hate has become more powerful than in-party love as a predictor of voting behavior. Think about that. Out party hate has become more powerful than in party love. That many voters would choose to forego helping themselves if it means passing up the opportunity to harm their opponents. Goes on to say, we've lost the imagination for a politics that helps people and instead bought into a political logic that justifies hurting them and we tell ourselves this is just how the game is played they'll do it to us if we don't do it to them but would jesus agree if america is to be rescued and redeemed there must be a love movement The church must lead the way by proclaiming and demonstrating a love toward those whose differences would make them enemies. We must detoxify the culture and de-weaponize difference and show a different way. Having described the blessed person by way of the Beatitudes, Jesus contrasts the self-righteousness of the Pharisees with the true righteousness which the kingdom requires. With verse 43, he lifts their treatment of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Says, don't seek revenge or carry a grudge against any of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am God. However, the Pharisees were teaching love your friend and adding the words hate your enemy. In today's language it might be love your fellow Democrat, hate the Republican. Love the conservatives, hate the liberals. Love the blue states, hate the red states. Love the rural, hate the urban. This addition was a desecration of the law it corrupted its meaning and its intent hence jesus says you're familiar with the old written law love your friend and its unwritten companion hate your enemy i'm challenging that i'm telling you to love your enemies let them bring out the best in you not the worst When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer, for then you are are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. Jesus elevates the bar with the imperative to love enemies. And the word for enemies refers to those who are personally hostile. As such, it could be someone who lives next to you, it could be an estranged family member we all got crazy cousins (laughs) it could be a co-worker an enemy is one whose personal dislike motivates negative actions and thoughts the call to love enemies is the call to adopt a different perspective much of our feelings and responses to people classified as different or other is due to how we perceive them. The usual perception of someone whose dislike compels them to negative actions which will result in a diminishing of us. We see them and their actions as having the ability to make us less than we really are. Let's just admit, there are some people who can bring out the worst in us. They can get under our skin they can have us consider things that we dare not mention, prop language that we thought the blood had taken away a long time ago. <laughs> but Jesus challenges us to look at them from a different perspective. Rather than seeing them as occasions for the worst in us to arise, we should look at them as having the potential to bring out the best in us. He calls for a change of perspective where the best can be seen in our responding to and engaging them. in other words, we need not choose the worst response. We can choose the best response. We can choose good morning. We can choose have a nice day. We can choose not to react to every tweet. We We can choose not to exchange tit for tat in every post. The desire for the best to be seen comes from the realization that engaging with those from with whom we differ has more going on than the point of our difference. It has what is seen in us. There is the opportunity for us to be seen as citizens of the kingdom of God, for God to be seen at every point of engagement. The question is How am I being seen? Am I being seen at my worst or at my best? I can shred an opponent. I can get them told. I can reduce them to emotional putty. But that may make me feel good ego-wise. But it diminishes who I am as a representative of the kingdom of God. This call for a change of perspective alters how we enter into meetings and engagements. Rather than dreading them, we look at them as the opportunity for the best to be seen, a different perspective. It is also a call to respond on a different plane. When people come at us or they are revealed by their actions, we are prone to respond to them on their level. When they attack it is on the level of the flesh and we feel, and we feel the pain within our fleshly existence and it's natural for us to respond in flesh. If they hit you, you want to hit them back. If they they come at you, you want to get them told. The problem with this is that while the blow is felt on the level of the flesh, the attack is on the level of the spirit. And for a believer the adversary's attempt is to get us to operate and to be driven by the flesh where he can manipulate us. It is in such a case that we are reminded we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places we are reminded that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, uh, casting down every vain imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive and making it obedient unto the Lord Jesus Christ. When it is our desire to respond in the flesh, we must discipline ourselves to respond in the spirit to access our spiritual weaponry, to put ourselves in God knowing that we can't do this on our own. This is not the result of flesh and blood. This does not come from enlightened self-interest. It comes from God, and it takes God to give us the moral strength To separate the person of the enemy and the hostility of the enemy so that we don't conflate hostility with personhood. That was the power of the civil rights movement. Their training and discipline was that of separating the hostility from the humanity so that they could appeal to the humanity. Even when treated less than human they sought to respond with humanity that was not natural. That is why they would have prayer meetings before every engagement because they needed the power and the spirit of God to empower them to engage the hostile and still appeal to the humanity. That is why Dr. King would say I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy to a friend that's what is needed in our nation right now where there is such intransigent hostility how do we break the cycle and appeal to humanity and the reason why this is important for us is God is developing a new us God is fashioning the kingdom us. The old us, yes, would have gotten them told, but God says, no, I'm trying to build a new you. You are in Christ. You are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things are new. It's the new you. The call to love our enemies is not just the call to adopt a different perspective and to respond on a different plane, but it is a call to reach a different plateau. Hear Jesus when someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for then you are working out of your true selves, your God created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless the good and bad, the nice and the nasty. Jesus challenges a reaching a different plateau. The response to hostiles is not to be based on who they are. It is to be based on who we are called to be. We are the children of God. We are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And as the children of God, we are called to a higher standard than that of the world. The world loves its own. The world greets its own. We are called to a higher plateau. We are challenged to land where God lands. And God gives God's best. The sun shines and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Mercy greets the nice and the nasty every morning. Faithfulness is shown to the rude and the righteous. The love of God moves God to give his best To everyone regardless we learned it in Sunday school for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but has everlasting life. Herein is love not that we love God but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. When we see God sending Jesus, we see God not only gave his best, but God was at his best. He sent Jesus while we were yet enemies, yet estranged, yet rebellious, yet wicked, while we were yet crooked. He loved us. He died out of his love for us. He says, nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly. I've got power to lay it down, and I've got power to raise it. When you see Jesus... You see God at his best, the nails in his hand, the spear in his side, his being wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity and chastened for our peace and having stripes for our healing. We see him at his best. As he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We see him at his best. And God honors him. Does not God honor him? After he dies and is in the grave, on the third day, God raises him with all power in his hand and highly exalts him (laughs) and gives him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I saw him at his best. He saw me at my worst, but I saw him at his best. I was an enemy, I was an outcast, but he saved me. He's redeemed me, he's forgiven me, he has called me and he has sent me and I want to be at my best. And every time I'm challenged to be at my best, I just remember how he's been at his best, how he has loved me how he has loved me beyond me. And every now and then I just have to tell myself, oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Oh, that is the challenge for us. And when we find ourselves challenged by it, If we just remember how much he has loved us, how he has been jealous for us, how he has desired us, how his perspective has been for us, we will do likewise. God bless you.